You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. focusing on grace alone. Um, This won't be a topical sermon, but more of an exposition of verses 8 through 10, and we see grace clearly in these verses and in all of Ephesians. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of Ephesians, he says, if Romans is the most explicit presentation of the gospel, then Ephesians has the most majestic presentation of the gospel. Very, he writes beautifully in this book, about faith and about grace and about the work of Christ. So let's read, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us all together this morning to worship you through singing, through prayer, and through the study of your scripture. Help us to understand better grace alone, to understand that it is because of you only and you looking at us and deciding that you want us, that we are saved. Let us praise you for that. Let us find rest in that. Forgive me of my sins. And let us just understand your word and to love your word and love you because of what it says about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think, why, why are you saved? How did God come to the conclusion to save you? There has to be a reason. Why, why did God look at you and say, I want that one? If any of the reasons that you thought of give you a reason to boast, then you have to revise your understanding of salvation. And this is the main point of grace alone, that you contribute nothing to why God saved you. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2 that grace enables every aspect of salvation. Look at the top of chapter 2. Paul begins chapter 2 of Ephesians by giving an overview of the life of believers. Verses 1 through 3, he focuses on the spiritual deadness of believers before faith in Jesus Christ. Let's read it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and whence you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You are very dead. In verses 4 and 5, Paul gives a display of God's mercy 
in raising the dead to life in Christ. Let's read that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He gets ahead of himself there. He, can't, he has to put it in parentheses. You've been saved by grace. And then 6 and 7 show our final status as believers. In Christ, we are seated with God in the heavenly places. All of this serves to show us the richness of God's grace. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Our text serves as a summary of the first seven verses of this chapter. And we see in this text that salvation is grounded in the grace of God alone. That is the main point of this text. The salvation we have is grounded in the grace of God alone. Paul shows us this by pointing to grace as the basis of our salvation, the source of our faith, and the cause of our good works. So first, let's look at the first part of verse 8 for our first point, and we see that grace is the basis of our salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul begins this summary of verses 1 through 7 by declaring you are saved by grace through faith. When we think about salvation, our minds quickly associate it with faith. We even call our religion faith. It is a faith, the faith that I follow. If I asked you what the basis of our salvation is, many of us would probably say faith. Faith is certainly a major part of our salvation, but it is not the basis of it. Faith is how we receive salvation, but grace is the basis of that salvation. But what is grace? Your pastor has defined it as unmerited favor. Now, when I hear that, I have to go look up two new words. It's a helpful definition, but it would, it would confuse me. So if you're like me, I'll just give you a couple of examples of what grace looks like. Grace is seeing a person with a flat tire on the side of the road and then stopping to help them. Grace is seeing someone drop a dozen eggs on the parking lot outside of the grocery store and then walking them inside to buy them a new dozen. Do you owe these people anything? You didn't have to use your money to buy these eggs. That is grace, an act of undeserved favor, unmerited favor. Since salvation is by grace, we receive it undeservedly. The salvation we have is gained wholly by grace. And the word save that you see in that first part of verse 8, if you look down at that, Paul uses it in verse 8 to point to the totality of salvation that grace brings. So it's not just looking at the initial conversion, not just the first time that you believed in Christ, but it is looking at salvation in the past, in the present, and the future. Grace covers all of it. You could read it as this, for by grace you have been saved and are being saved. Right now we are all under the grace of God for our salvation if you believe in Christ. Salvation by grace is evident throughout the scriptures. Look at Adam and Eve. 
they transgressed the direct command of God. Then the penalty for that sin was death. But that didn't come immediately. They didn't drop dead and end the human race right after that first sin. God allowed them to live by grace. And from them was born Seth. And from Seth, there would be a man named Jesus who would be raised up to crush the head of the serpent. Think of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Not because of anything he had done, but because it was according to God's purposes. God wanted to use Noah. Abraham gives a clear picture of salvation by grace. Abram was a pagan in the land of Haran. He was 75 years old when God made this covenant with him and called him out of Haran. And for 75 years, he did nothing virtuous for God. He didn't know Yahweh. But God called him out of the land of Haran to go and to live as a wanderer, promising him a nation, promising him descendants as numerous as the sands or the stars. And from Abraham, God made him a father of Israel, gave him a son when there was no possibility of him or Sarah having children. And from Abraham, he created a nation by grace. Look at Jacob. Jacob showed himself to be a wicked man. He cheated his brother. He schemed with his mother and he lied to his father. And we see that he runs away to avoid death by the hands of Esau, his brother. God finds him and by grace says that he will be the one that, pro- that the promises of Abraham will go through. He did absolutely everything to disqualify him from that. But God makes him and renames him Israel. And then his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel follows this pattern of her patriarchs and struggles with God and wickedness. And through it all, God is faithful to show grace and mercy to them. In Acts, we see that the men, the men and women at Pentecost, they're called devout men of Israel. They come from all over. And Peter tells them, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The hearers we see in Acts 2 are cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? And by grace, God offers a way of salvation. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Grace was at work long before your faith. By grace, God breathed life into Adam. By grace, God delivered his word to his people. By grace, Christ came to die in the place of sinners. God's grace does not depend on our faith. God took the first action. He gives faith in order to show his grace. God saves people out of his loving desire to do so. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Do you see any action in this passage that man takes? No. It's God that acts past, present, and future, that saves us, that blesses us with all blessings and all spiritual gifts from the heavenly places. You see that we get all the riches of his grace and they are lavishly applied to us. He doesn't hold it back from us. God acts in the past, the present, and the future. We have been saved by grace through faith. What this means is that faith is the channel or the road that God has set up by which he gives his grace. Grace is the basis of our salvation, while faith is how we receive God's grace in Christ. We see in verse 9 that faith as well as grace is a gift from God. So that brings us to our second point. In verses 8 through 9, we see that grace is the source of faith. So look at that second part of verse 8. It says, And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast. Grace is the source of faith. Paul goes on in the second half of verse 8 and in verse 9 to contrast what salvation by grace through faith is not. When Paul says, and this, using that pronoun this, he is referring to the whole of the previous phrase. And when he says that it is not your own doing, he is referring to salvation by grace through faith. So in other words, he says the whole of the previous phrase, the previous sentence in verse 8, both salvation by grace and faith are gifts from God. So what I'm going to do, look, at, look in your Bibles, look And I'm going to replace those pronouns, this and it, with salvation by grace through faith. And you'll see how it reads. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And salvation by grace through faith is not your own doing. Salvation by grace through faith is the gift of God. 
So see, it's not referring just to grace or just to salvation or just to faith. You can't separate it. The gift of God is that whole thing, the whole package of salvation by grace through faith. So we cannot even claim faith as our own work. Both grace and faith are unearned. You may be able to gain grace from a, a boss by doing a good job. You may come to have faith in a zip line after you see a few hundred people to go, go across it. But you will never earn God's grace through works, and you will never have faith on your own. Both together are gifts from God alone. It is important to understand that faith is a gift from God. Faith is a product of grace. Not only is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus a gift from God, but faith, the very response to the gospel message that is required, is a gift from God as well. It's easy to think of salvation as an achievement that we have accomplished. God patiently endured human rebellion, knowing that he was sending Jesus, his son, to die for them. Jesus came to this earth to live in total obedience to God and preach the kingdom. Ultimately, Christ was crucified. His life serves as a righteousness that he can give to those who believe in him, and his death serves as a sacrifice for the sins of God's people. Three days after Christ was resurrected from the grave, and we see this message as a wonderful gift from God, but we can fall into this trap of believing that it was in our own wisdom that we placed our faith or trust in Christ to receive his righteousness and be forgiven of our sins. But this view makes faith a virtue. And this is contrary to what Paul is trying to say in our verses. In this verse, faith is not a virtue to emulate. It is a gift that we receive from God. If faith was a work that we must perform to inherit salvation, then we would have a reason to boast in heaven. And Paul puts a stop to that. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nothing about your salvation should give you a reason to brag, a reason to feel good about yourself should increase your faith in Christ, your reliance on him, and your praise for God. Salvation by grace through faith is not a result of work so that no one can boast. We must cry out daily to God, Father, give me faith. Is it Jesus' work that you are trusting in for your salvation? Answer that to yourself. Or do you secretly... Trust in your own works. If you were honest with yourself, watch yourself. There is no good work that will earn grace. There is no good work that will give you faith. True faith comes from God, and true grace comes freely from God. It's my prayer that God gives you faith to receive his grace, because only he can do this, and he is faithful to do it. We've seen it's easy to think, oh, I've had a good day. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've done these good works. I wasn't rude to my wife. And we can think God is really gracious to me. 
And then some days you don't read your Bible. We don't pray. We have a bad attitude throughout the day. We may have sinned and fall short. This doesn't mean that you have less grace from God. No matter what you've done today, whether you've come and you have fallen, you have failed throughout the week. Whether you are on spiritual high or spiritual low, you are firmly secure in the grace of God. If your faith is in Christ, he's not going to let you go. That leads us to verse 10, our third point. Grace is the cause of our good works. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is the cause of our good works. Grace is not limited, like we said, to a single point in our salvation, such as the initial conversion. It continues to show itself in the form of our good works. This is how we know we're under grace when we do perform good works. It gives us confidence in the grace of God. Grace is, you can't think of grace as a crutch. Don't think of grace as a crutch to help you walk in the way of godliness. Grace is more like a car seat. You're strapped in. You're secure on all sides. If your parent bumps you into the table, it's not going to affect you at all. You have to rely on your parents to get you from point A to point B. So you're not hobbling along in your own self-righteousness with the grace crutch. You are securely in the arms of Christ until you're taken to be with the Father. God has made us, and specifically, he is forming us into the image of a son. God's design includes the good works that we do once we have believed in Christ and are saved. Remember, we are saved and are being saved. If you are in Christ, you are still being saved. You're still in that process. Glorification is what's to come. The good works we do now were prepared long ago by the Creator. If, if the Creator has already created the good works that you are to do, that are to be evident in you, then you will do those good works. The works were not thought of after your conversion. Well, I've saved this person, now I've got to figure out what to do with him, what he can do. No, you were thought of long before this earth was around. And the works you will do were thought of too. They were created before you were conceived. God saves us and then uses us for his glory. God is the gracious provider of every aspect of our salvation. And in Christ, we have everything we need to be securely found in the arms of the Father. What are some of those good works that we are to do? That's a natural question that comes from reading this verse. And we can see later on in Ephesians, I encourage you to read this book, maybe today just read the whole six chapters. But we can also look to Galatians to give us a better understanding, a quick bullet point list. In Galatians 5.22, we find the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. These are good works. These are what we will do. Jesus says in John 15 that we are the branches and he is the vine. And the branches will produce fruit. If you're a Christian, you will display this fruit. How amazing is that? Fruit we will display is joy. We are to be joyous people. Because of what Christ has done, how can we not be? These are good works. There are spiritual disciplines that we find in the scriptures that we are to do as well. A book I would recommend is uh, it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This is by Donald Whitney. It's a, rather, it's a longer book, but it's a good book, simple read. I would encourage you to get it, uh, probably around $20 on Amazon. But he goes over the spiritual disciplines that you see in Scripture, and he gives practical advice for how to practice them in your life. In these spiritual disciplines, he describes them. He says that God has put them in place to make us godly. That is the goal of spiritual disciplines, to make you godly. And they're not attitudes. When, when Paul writes, you will do good works, he means actual work, not just a good attitude. Good disposition. But these spiritual disciplines with the Spirit were able to do these by the grace of God. You must discipline yourself to read Scripture. Read your Bible. If Scripture says that we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, have you read every word from the mouth of God? I'm sure all of us have a copy of scripture in our laps have we read it spiritual disciplines we find in scripture reading scripture pray not just a sentence here or there not just five minutes a day but conversation with God read what he has to say and then speak back to him Jesus all throughout the gospels tells us to pray shows us how to pray to him to the Father. Worship. Being here this morning is a good work, is a result of grace. Evangelism. Telling people the gospel. If you truly believe that God is as glorious as he says he is, then why aren't we telling people about him? Serve. Serve one another. Physical needs. Take care of one another. We see in Acts... We see that pattern all throughout. They sell their possessions to take care of one another. Steward our resources well. Fasting. Meditation on the things of God. Thinking, focusing our time on the things of God. Journaling. Learning. And then persevering in our faith. These are all spiritual disciplines that we are to practice that we find in Scripture and we find patterned in Scripture. These disciplines come from grace. You cannot keep the commandments or practice these disciplines in order to inherit salvation, so don't confuse that. These disciplines come from grace in us. They are the natural outpouring of the love of God. So do not be mistaken. These good works that we are to do are actual work. They're difficult. We have to get in the habit of doing them. I know that it is hard to read Scripture or even to remember what Scripture says, but we have to put in the effort. They are hard work, but we know that we can be successful in them because of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. 
In conclusion, why is it important that God saves us on the basis of grace alone? It's because there is nothing else that we can offer. Who, you, you who do not follow Jesus, what is your eternity secured in? If it's not God's grace that you rest in, then it will be his wrath that you stand in. Look back at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Paul describes us as dead in our sin, following the prince of the power of the air, and that we carried out the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children under wrath like the rest of mankind. We weren't just mostly dead. We were as dead as dead can be. Our death smelled rotten with wickedness. How could sinful people like that ever find the ability to please the Father or place their faith in Jesus Christ? If grace is the fountainhead of salvation, then it should cause us to cling to Christ more and more as we think of it. Grace is a gift from God that we do not deserve. It's more than just that simple definition. Grace is this. We were created to serve the king, but we rejected our role and sought to tear down the kingdom of God, to set up our own kingdom. We construct thrones for ourselves out of our dead works that come from our flesh. We do as we please and we despise the rule of the king. But the greatest act of treason was committed when we murdered the perfect son of God. We took our dagger of depravity, whether that's laziness, hatred, lust, rejection of Christ, and we plunged it into the heart of Jesus. All people had a hand on that hilt. But God meant for this to happen. And from the open wound of Christ comes the forgiveness of sins for all who believe. All glory for our salvation goes to our holy God. We have done nothing to deserve this forgiveness. This is grace. 